Why don't we bow our heads as we pray one more time? Heavenly Father, you truly are a God who speaks into each one of our lives. We ask for your grace now as we look at some passages that will be challenging for us personally, at passages that will also give us hope, but also as we look at the very practical protocol that you've given us in Scripture of how to confront people. Father, we ask that you would soften our hearts, that you would soften our minds and our hearts to be receptive to your word, and we ask that you would make our hearts a receptive soil. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. When I was in my mother's womb, I didn't have a choice the color hair I was going to have. I didn't have a choice of the color eyes I would have. I didn't have a choice as to the darkness of my skin. That was all decided beforehand for me. Now, I know we will say that God decided exactly how I would look, and I agree with that, but I also believe that God set the process of DNA into, and our genetics into how we are going to be born and, and how we would become who we are. But I didn't have a decision into that. And I also didn't have a say into the kind of culture that I would be born into, right? So I was born to Mexican um, parents, and so the culture that they had, they, they raised us with for the most part. But for the most, for the most part, what I remember most about my Mexi- Mexican culture is what we all kind of seem to enjoy most of the time, which is what? Our food. Yeah, like Mexican food is everywhere. Here's the thing. When I was a kid... I didn't know that because we never went out to eat, right? So we would, every once in a while, we would go out to eat at Taco Bell, right? I never got to choose what I ordered. <laughs> I always got hard tacos, and I don't like hard tacos. But yeah, our Mexican food. So this is a story that I want to share with you. Some of you have heard my story that when I was in elementary school, I grew up in Fullerton, and I grew up in the side of Fullerton where it was a lot of, it's heavily Hispanic, And there was no elementary school for us, so what they did is that they would send us to different neighboring schools, and I was fortunate enough to go to a school that was in a part of the the city that was, um, let's put it this way, everyone was a lot lighter skinned than I was. And I think if I look through our, our our elementary yearbooks, I was probably one of the darkest kids at that school. Now, when you're a kid, you're not self-actualized enough to know that everyone's different colors and it's okay and all that kind of stuff. Like, all you know is that you look different. And what made things even worse is that I was outside in the sun all the time as a kid, so, like, I was even darker than I am now. Like, I try to limit my sunlight now. <laughs> but I was very well aware that my DNA and my genetics and my culture made me different than, than a lot of those other kids. Now, there were other Hispanics that went there, but I was still darker than all of them. And if you've, you've all seen my family, I'm darker than all of them, so I don't know what happened there, God, but thanks, right? But I was very different. And I remember one time, so my mom, they would always pack me lunches. They would almost always pack us lunches unless we had our little lunch tickets. And usually the lunches were like sandwiches. I love sandwiches, and they would give us sandwiches. And uh, I remember one time... I think we had run out of bread, not because we were like poor, but just because I think we ran out of bread because that's what happens. And so my dad decided that he would make us burritos for lunch. Remember this, I already feel like an outsider. 
I already feel like everyone thinks like these horrible things about me. And then not only do I have to take burritos to school, because remember, I thought that only Mexicans ate that. I didn't realize everyone loved them back then. But not only did I have little burritos, but they were wrapped in foil. And to keep the food warmer, what do you think my parents put that foil in? What they wrap it in? Like one of those nice like lunch boxes that kept everything warm? No. They put them in like the bread bag that had no more bread in it. And so like I was like, I am going to not eat today like I'm already an outsider. So I remember, and I was hungry because I like to eat. So I remember sitting with one of my friends, his name was Jared. And um, he, I think his parents, they used to buy him like sandwiches at the deli, which was like what I always wanted, but never did, never happened. And so I remember he's like, oh man, not another sandwich. And so I pull out my burrito and he says, oh, that's so awesome. Your parents make you burritos? I'll trade you. And I thought to myself like, Okay, like, you know, it was one of those moments of realization in a kid's life. But, you know, I tell that story because our cultures, it's a part of who we are. And our culture is built into the DNA of who we are. Every one of us has a different culture, and we all have wonderful things about our culture. But the part that I want to focus on this morning isn't even our earthly cultures that are differing. But the fact that God has placed a certain DNA and a certain genetics, spiritual genetics and culture onto the life of every single one of you who is here this morning. One that no matter how much we try to get away from, God is continually pulling us and saying, this is who I've created you to be. This is what I desire for you. This is how you show your spiritual culture of being a Christian and a follower of Jesus. And that's what I want to look at this morning. And so this morning, we're going to look at three passages. So you kind of have an idea of of what we're going to be looking at. And we're going to look at three passages. Now, the title of this morning's sermon is How to Have Difficult Conversations. We're in part five of our Fight Like a Christian series. and, And I hope that what you've understood by now is that to fight like a Christian is really to absorb. To fight like a Christian means that oftentimes it's going to look like you've lost the argument or the fight. To fight like a Christian requires us to view others as better than ourselves. And that's why when we started this passage, uh, this sermon series, I said, like, the fight like a Christian is really a tongue-in-cheek title. Because if we look at the model of Jesus' life is that he never really fought, but instead he always gave of himself. And so today I will give you some very practical step-by-step application as to how you can confront someone that has wronged you. But before we can even get to that, we need to take a better or a deeper look at, at some groundwork that we have to lay in order for that to begin to make sense. Now, keep in mind the story that I just shared about our culture and who we are and how God is creating us to be a certain way with a certain kind of spiritual DNA and genetics because with that in mind, this is all going to make a lot more sense. So this morning, there is no PowerPoint. We're going to look at our red Bibles. Um, if you have a red Bible in front of you, I encourage you to open it. We're looking at... 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which is page 819. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, page 819. And we're going to begin in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God 
who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It says, for anyone who is in Christ. And that's really the question that we want to ask this morning is, who is in Christ? And if we look at scriptures, the whoever is in Christ is whoever believes what Jesus says about who he was. Those of you who are in Christ are those who have accepted Jesus into your heart. Those who are in Christ are those who confess that who Jesus said he was, the Son of God who comes to lay his life down so that we would be forgiven and reconciled to Christ, you are in Christ. And Paul tells us that if you are that person, and I know you all are here this morning, maybe some of you aren't, but I know that you're here and, you've, and you're at least open to hearing what God is saying to you this morning. Paul says if you're in Christ, if you believe in Jesus, you are a new creation. So yes, we were born with our own set of DNA. Yes, we were born into a certain uh, ethnic culture. All of us were. But if you are in Christ and you believe in Jesus, then you are taking on a whole new culture and DNA. Now, it doesn't mean that you get rid of your earthly culture. It just means that the new culture that God is putting on you is supposed to take a new way of expressing itself in this world. And so if you are in Christ, Paul says, the old is gone and the new has come. You know, whenever you believe in Jesus, it's the permission that your past sins you can lay, leave in the past. Your biggest mistakes you can leave behind. Your darkest moments you can leave behind. Because if you are in Christ, all God sees of you is that Jesus is in you. You know, so many times in our lives, we only see the worst of us. We only see the darkest moments in our lives. But really, what we should be focusing on is that Christ is inside each one of us. Now, what's important about verse 18 is this. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them, and he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. As followers of Jesus, we are to be a reconciliation people. Paul is very clear here. God reconciles us to himself through Christ. It is through the person of Jesus that God has bridged the gap of our sin and our transgressions, and now we are at one with Christ. And I love how Lou said that we are to be one with each other and one with Christ. And God has bridged the gap. He has forgiven your sins, and he has made us one. And the key word that I want to focus on here is reconciliation. Not only that, Paul says that we are to be ambassadors of reconciliation. Why is that important? Because a part of our spiritual DNA is that we are to be ambassadors of reconciliation. We, as Seventh-day Adventists, should be the kind of people that people look at and say those are a reconciliation kind of people. That we don't give in to the divisiveness that is going on, not only in our world, but also in our churches. But that we would be a people that would learn to reach out a hand and say, I am willing to meet you halfway or all the way because reconciliation is important. You see, our spiritual life and our faith and our theology isn't just about making ourselves feel good. The fact that Jesus has died for our sins isn't just so that you have your place in heaven 
but it's so that you don't have to earn your way into heaven because God has a very specific mission for us to be people of reconciliation in this world. This is our culture. This is our DNA. So yes, we have the assurance that we'll get to spend eternity with God. That's amazing, and we love that. But the gospel isn't just about evacuating us from this earth. It's about how we are to live and interact with each other while we're here. Because how we do that here is we are beginning to experience the fullness and the presence of God in the present moment when we learn to be a people of reconciliation. Our culture, our DNA should be people of reconciliation. And if you are in Christ, this is given to you. Just like I didn't get, a, I didn't get to choose how I would come out of my mother's womb, just like I didn't get to choose my Mexican heritage, if you are in Christ, you don't get to choose which parts of Scripture you choose to follow or not follow. If you are in Christ, you don't get to decide, well, God, I will be a person of reconciliation for the people that deserve it. But rather, we are to be a people of reconciliation, especially when it's those who don't deserve it. And the reason we know this is because in verse 20 it says this, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We, imp- we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, which is Jesus, so that in Christ we may become the righteousness of God. You see, when you get into an argument or a fight with someone, you have to remember that you are being created in the righteousness of God. You don't get to live by the way that the world says, like where you can get even or get revenge. But when you have a problem with someone, you have a mandate from Scripture that you are to be channels of God's grace because in the process, God is making us righteous through His Spirit. You see, when we want to just get back and get even at people, we're just functioning from a place of our sinfulness. We're functioning from a place where I just want to get what's de- what I deserve, and that person should get what they deserve, and so I'm going to get back at them. But as a Christian, you don't get to decide that. As a Christian, you are called always to seek reconciliation. So that's part one. We are a people that are called to reconciliation. Jesus shows us how to reconcile us to God, and we are to be ambassadors of God's grace. So let's switch over, let's flip over to page 833. There's a lot of like deep theological stuff here this morning, um, so I'm just, I'm asking you to try to stay as locked in as possible because it's, 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 it's this heavy, thick theology that, that really forms us and shapes us. So if we look at for, uh, Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 Let's start in verse 17. Speaking about Jesus, he says, He, Jesus, is before all things. And in Jesus, all things hold together. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, meaning the resurrection. So that in everything, he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. 
So listen to this. All of the fullness of God. You know, the scriptures tell us that no one can see God and live. Right? And I think oftentimes, you know, we have so much about God in this book, but I think there is a, this is all that we could possibly handle as humans about God because I believe that when we're face-to-face with God, we'll realize like, oh, what we knew about God was just a sliver of who God truly is. Like, I believe that. I think we can't fully grasp and comprehend it all. I think we have only what we can handle. But what the scriptures tell us is that the entire fullness of who God is was pleased to dwell in Christ. Jesus embodied this. And verse 20 says this, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Listen to this next verse. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Verse 22 but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free of accusation. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but if I were to ask you if you are guilty of any kind of sin in your life, I think we would all agree that we are guilty. I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we, we know that we are far from perfect, and yet what Colossians tells us is that the fullness of God dwelled in Christ, and God's mission was to come to earth to reconcile you to a God that we don't deserve to be reconciled to. Like, think about this. The worst things you think about yourself, God doesn't see. The worst mistakes you've made in your life, God doesn't count against you. Like, this is what the gospel is. And here's what it tells us. In verse 22, it says, Jesus presents you holy in God's sight, without blemish and free of accusation. Like, this is one of those verses in the Bible that I think we think to, I, I think, to myself sometimes like it sounds really great and theologically i know what it means but as humans we have a hard time internalizing the fact that god sees you as holy without a blemish without accusation holy in god's sight like like that is the message that we as a seventh day adventist church should be preaching to anyone who would hear us Because what happens in our world, and I've said this before, we have 80,000 thoughts in our minds a day, and 80% of those are negative thoughts. Negative thoughts about others and negative thoughts about ourselves. You know, as people who try to live our lives that give honor and glory to God, we often find ourselves living at a deficit. We see the sins in our lives, and we make these, these judgments about our value and our worth because we say, well, if I can't get past this sin in my life, then man, like I'm, God's not going to take me to heaven with him. And we make these terrible value decisions about ourselves, and that's what we do as humans. Because in this world, we have to justify everything. How do you keep a job? You justify yourself by showing up. How do you get good grades in school? You study hard, or you try to study as hard as you can. Even in our relationships, in our romantic relationships, we seem to try to work hard to appease the other person and make sure that 
that they're happy so they keep loving us and stay with us, right? We, we say these terrible things like happy, happy wife, happy life. The idea that, like, that we have to continually always make someone else happy in order for us to, be, to feel worthy and valuable. And that's the way of the world, that is the way of the world that teaches us that we have to continually earn our keep. But what Scripture tells us, for those of you who are believers in Christ, is that the spiritual DNA that God has put in you has made you a new creation. And that the culture that God is placing on you is one of reconciliation. And that your genetics, that who you are spiritually, is holy and blameless in the sight of God. Now, are we blameless? I mean, like, real life stuff, like, wow, because we're sinned. We sinned. We're not, the, we're not technically blameless. We're, what's the word? Like, um, huh? Yeah, covered, but, like, spiritually blameless. Like, God sees us as, like, blameless, but we're not really blameless. Does that make sense? That's the paradox. If it's confusing, it's okay, because that's just, you just, we have to say that that's grace, but we're not really blameless. And God doesn't say, well, because you did this, you're out. God continues to reconcile ourselves. The Bible says that God reconciles all things to himself. Like this is the foundation for our understanding of how we are then to relate to people that have hurt us, that have betrayed us, that have sinned against us. You see, when God asks us to live a certain way, it's not because God is this tyrant in the sky who says, you must live this way because I said so. But what we find is that God led by example and showed us how to live. So when we get to the letter in Colossians and it tells us that we are, or rather in 2 Corinthians, when Paul tells us that we are to be ambassadors of reconciliation, it's not coming from on top in God saying, do this or else. What it's saying is, I showed you, I modeled what it looks like to be a reconciling people, and now I want you to do this because I have reconciled you back to me. You see, in the Old Testament, the Israelites were God's chosen people to be his message to the world. I believe that as Seventh-day Adventists, we are called to be a reconciliation people that give the good news of God's love to the world as well. Like, this is who we are. At the core of who we are as a church was a movement to share God's love to anyone who would hear. And in such a time as this, where it seems like everything is so divisive, you are being called to be a reconciler. Is it going to be easy? No. It's hard. We would rather give in to our emotions than to give in to the DNA that God has placed in us to be reconcilers. We would rather give in to our anger than to be this new creation that God is continually working on us. And yet that is where we find ourselves. You know, we find ourselves in a place where we can be God's light to a world that desperately needs it. We find ourselves in a situation, not only in the world outside of us, but just within our families, within our friendships and at work. And even within the church, we are called to be children of light. So I promised that I would give you some practical steps. So here's a third passage, and then we'll finish with this. Matthew chapter 18, page 695. 
Are you guys still tracking with me? Are we still all together on this? That's the foundation. This is your spiritual DNA. This is what God's putting in on your life. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. Feel free to substitute sister in there, right? So, you know, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and show your brother or your sister their fault. And if he listens, and if he or she listens to you, you've regained your brother. So, this is the words of Jesus. They're not read in this Bible because none of them are read. You know, Jesus' words are read. But if, you, if someone has sinned against you, if someone has hurt you, if someone has done something against you, the biblical mandate, and we've already established that we are a reconciliation people. We are holy and blameless in God's sight, even though we know that we are not technically holy and blameless because we are sinful people. Right? So God doesn't see that. He sees the very best in us. God sees Jesus in us. Like, think about that. So, when Jesus says, go to your brother or sister if they have done something to hurt you or offend you, does it say you take a whole gaggle of people to gang up on them? Not yet. (laughs) The first step is you just go and you have this difficult conversation. Like, look, most people don't like confrontation and most people don't like conflict. Like, that's just the reality of life. But if you are a new creature made in the image of God, it says that you must go to that person and tell them, hey, this is what I've noticed. This is what I think happened. Help me to understand. Now, if you come at someone and you blame them, it's just going to escalate. But if you just say, like, look, here's what I experienced. Help me to understand what happened. Then you might have a conversation. You know, oftentimes people will say or do things that they don't realize they did. And they end up hurting us. And so then we think like, well, they did it on purpose just to hurt us, just to mess with us. And so what we end up doing is we just go straight to getting revenge. Or, we, or what we do is we start to spread gossip. Or we start to say bad things about them that aren't true. We start spreading rumors. Right? Sometimes if someone hurts us and we haven't had a conversation with them, we attack them verbally. Right? If someone has done something and we think they did it against us, we're rude to them. We avoid them. We go as far away as possible so that we don't have to run into them. You know, we're either passive-aggressive or regular-aggressive, right? Like, like, it, like, it's just our natural inclination. But if you believe in Jesus, that's unacceptable behavior. Look, getting to heaven as a Christian, is the easiest part of our spiritual walk because Jesus does that for us. But when God wants us to work out and to demonstrate the gospel in our lives, that's where it gets difficult, which is okay because the Holy Spirit helps us and works with us. But like if you experience a difficult moment in your life when you have to approach someone who has done something against you, just remember that you are there to be a person and an ambassador of reconciliation. So step number one is you just go and you have a conversation with this person without trying to blame them. If you're the person that someone comes to and says, hey, I think this happened, as an ambassador of reconciliation, your job is to not get defensive, but to say, I, well, either like, yeah, I did that and I'm sorry, (laughs) 
or I didn't realize that I did that. You have to remain humble and open to what someone is saying to you. Because remember, this is how we interact, first and foremost, with other believers. But it's sad because even as believers, instead of us taking that first step, we end up attacking each other. We end up doing what the world tells us is okay, but as, as people who are believers in Christ, that is unacceptable. So the first step is you go humbly to the person and you talk to them. And if you're the person who was the offender, you have to be humble and open to be able to have that conversation. This is what Jesus is asking us to do. And the good news is, if you have that one-on-one conversation, oftentimes it's misunderstandings. Oftentimes it was unintended. Oftentimes it wasn't as bad as you think it is. But then you get to, but then you get to remain brothers and sisters with that person. How many times have we had issues with someone and we fought out with someone and then we finally realize that it wasn't what we meant or what we thought happened? And what ends up happening? You know, when you're, you know, you end up becoming friends with those people usually because you enter into a new type of relationship when you're able to keep each other accountable. Like this is the, this is the kingdom of God that we give life to here in this earth. This is how we demonstrate God's love to people. So step one, you go one-on-one with them. Step two, verse 16, but if he or she will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So that's two, two steps two, three. Step two, Take one or two people with you. Here's what I find happens a lot. We skip step one, and we go to step two or step three. That's what we do. Because we need more people, more ammunition, more support. And so instead of doing what Jesus asks us, this is not Pastor Dave. This is not what Psychology Today magazine tells us. This is not what somebody's blog tells us how to deal with conflict. This is the words of Jesus. And he says, if they won't listen to you, then you may need to take one or two people. But it's not to gang up on them. It's clear that they are just there to serve as witnesses. So it doesn't mean that you get to gang up on someone. It just means maybe you take two elders with you and say, elders, if you're listening, make yourselves available (laughs) whenever is necessary. But in all honesty, if you do have a problem with someone and they don't listen, You're free to ask one of the elders or two elders to go with you because these are the spiritual leaders of this church. And whether you know it or not, these are the people who are praying for you. Listen, we know when there's issues that arise in the church. We know. But we want to follow Matthew 18, and that's why we're not going to jump into every argument because we know that Jesus' way of dealing with things is that you must first and foremost go to that person first. And if they don't listen, then you can come and get two other people to serve as witnesses, to be there just to listen and be able to corroborate. And so step two, if step two doesn't work, then it says, then you can bring it to the church. Not like Saturday morning, but maybe you can bring it to the pastor and the elders. And then we can figure it out. But if the person still doesn't listen to all these people, it says they can be like a tax collector or a pagan, which like in Bible words is basically saying, Like, you don't have to have anything to do with them. You can just, like, say thank you for being a part of this church. Like, 
like you just there's nothing more you can do in a sense like you, do, you don't even have to like treat them like with these rules anymore because you just kind of have to let them be on their own but i think and i've seen that when we follow the ways of matthew 18 i've never ever seen it get to that third step where we just say okay be gone and see, oftentimes when we do, do confront someone, it's never with the intent to reconcile. It's with the intent to win. And part of our spiritual DNA and part of the culture that God is asking us to be a part of is that when we do have an issue with someone, you have to go with the spirit of reconciliation. Because the only reason that you can even do that is because Jesus has reconciled us to God first. You see, if you don't have a basic understanding that Jesus has forgiven you, that Jesus and God see, see you only as a holy person, think about that. God sees you holy without blemish. It's because God didn't use your worst moments against you. So as believers in Jesus, we are to go with the intent of reconciliation, of forgiveness, of love, and of kindness. And the goal should be to reconcile, not to win. And I guarantee you that if you are the one that has been hurt, it's going to require enormous amounts of humility and patience. Because what happens in our world is if someone did something wrong to us, what, what is like our go-to? We expect them to come to us. Isn't that true? We expect them to come and apologize. But your biblical mandate for being a new creation in, in Christ is that you go to them and you have a conversation. So fighting like a Christian isn't all that exciting if you wanted to learn how to get back at people. <laughs> But what it does is that it really forces us to understand what it means that you are forgiven. That you don't deserve it and yet you are given it freely. And so when we have these difficult conversations with others, remember, this is who you were created to be. It may take a couple of times of practice. It may take your life to continue to practice it. But the amazing thing about having those difficult conversations is that you ask God to be the one who speaks through you so that even you don't have to do all of the hard work. You allow God to do that for you. And I know that we have had, it, you know, there has been issues that we've all had with people throughout our lives. We have issues with people in the church. So I'm not telling you to go ask for forgiveness right now. But I'm asking you to really look into yourself and ask, who have I wronged? What have I done? And perhaps when the time is right, you can seek that reconciliation. Because people know if we are a church that is truly warm and loves each other, or if we're just really good at handshakes. Now, I see a lot, and I think we're really good at warmth. <laughs> I do really think we love each other. But as in any family, we have to learn to come together, forgive and reconcile. Because your faith is not just about you. It is about who God is calling us as a church to be. So that we may lift Christ up in all that we do. Let us pray.
Heavenly Father, you are a God for whom no words can ever describe your awesomeness and your wonder. Father, we have read these Bible verses hundreds of times. We like how they sound. And we even believe them theologically. But God, we want you to help us believe them with our soul. Help us to internalize them so that we don't live just for ourselves, but that we would live for you. And for those of us here who are experiencing conflict in, your, in their lives, whether at work, whether with their loved ones, whether with someone here at church, God, we ask that you would teach us humility. Because we want to experience your fullness here now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you.